You know what that music means? Yeah. Tim Hasselbeck. Brought to you by Wyatt Johnson Ford. Darren McFarlane. Chase McCabe alongside. Tim, how the heck are you? Doing great. How are you? Well, I'm not a marshmallow because I came back on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. how, how are you doing? Are you, you, you good? You up and about? While I have around. openly admitted on this show that I am a wuss, uh, I went to my first uh, physical therapy session on Monday, and words that are rarely ever said to me, I am ahead of schedule. <laughs> really? Look yeah. at you. That's what I did. I was like, really? <laughs> In all seriousness, I hope you do better than I did. So. Now wait a minute. Was yours? But yours was a little bit more extensive, right? Yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had a lot going on with uh, with one of them. Are you, you still little, not? Are you get, st- get still a little clean up, huh? Yeah, yeah. Do you, so you're still not back to close to 100. percent I just think I I have a new normal. <laughs> That's not good, by the way. <laughs> no. Basically, you just said you're settling for what it is right now. Pretty much, yeah. It's just kind of like, yeah, this is where you are. This is what you just, you're not, uh, you're not, you're not running the turkey trot. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's turkey that. Trot. By the way, even with the, uh, that good news and, and the little cleanup, I won't be running a turkey trot either. So, yeah, um, see? I, I've seen your appearances on NFL Live and, uh, uh, Golik and Wingo and, you know, everything you've mm-hmm. done. This week, and I know you know the Titans don't garner much national attention, so I haven't really seen you talk much about the stuff that was out there swirling around. So Chase and I were pretty adamant the last two days that we feel like it should be Tannehill as the starter on Sunday. It will be, but everybody we were talking to that basically uh, is around the team or whatever saying, yeah, I think they're going to stick with Mariota. We were kind of surprised by that. What were you thinking the last couple of days? Um, I think that there was part of me that thought um, they could stick with him because, you know, I guess you want to be thorough in, you know, your evaluation and be sure that, you know, when you move on at the end of the year, that that's the right thing to do. Um, so there, there was part of me that thought like that could happen and that would be the reasoning for it. Uh, what I thought they should do is start Tannehill and, and see if there's something there. I think we've just seen enough. I, I, I think it's it's it, it's kind of run its course, and I think we kind of have, have seen who he is as a player. And I think you could say the same thing about Jameis Winston. And and it's hard. I mean, it's it's hard to make that decision. I just think personally, when you look at Marcus, and I think he's handled so many things the right way here. Um, you know, whereas like with Jameis, you know, that, I mean, you think of the, the patience he's been afforded and he has had a bunch, he hasn't exactly been a great teammate, a great representation of the organization where Marcus has. And so, you know, I think on a personal level, it's difficult. And then I think on a professional level, you know, it's hard because you've invested so much in him, but you know, you just look around the league at other guys that are playing well, and then you look around at even some young guys that, you know, weren't high draft picks, those guys playing well, you need to get more out of the position. What have you seen? I mean, you know, what we've seen is basically a whole lot of the same thing. 
the up and down roller coaster ride for four years and, and six games. But in particular, let, let's not let's focus on the six games, the body of work this year. Um, what, what did you see? What What did you like? What did well, I mean, you like, not like? Like, 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 like. Well, I mean, just the the inability to make plays as a passer a week ago, and I think you know, Marcus, you know, basically, you know, admitted to this, but you can't. You can't have 10 guys doing their responsibilities, you know, guys up front protecting and, and guys getting open and not deliver the football. I mean, that's just, you can't have that at all. And there were elements of that. And so, you know, what you see, you, you saw some of that. And so, you know, that's just, that's not good enough. You know, I've been on here and I've kind of, you know, said that I, I believe that Kirk Cousins is a good football player, you know, on here. It's a, it's, something that I, I think is true and I think it goes contrary to you know I think just general media takes on Kirk Cousins performance but if you watch him against the Eagles last week there are things that he is doing that he's elevating the play of everyone around him because he's playing he's doing his role really well and so when the left guard screws up his block but he plays on time and the ball comes out and they get a completion on third down, you know, now people aren't talking about the left guard missing his block or, and they're certainly not talking about, Hey, how Kirk Cousins, you know, you know, missed a throw, um, you know, and there's a similar thing on a play action play on, you know, on second and two where it should be a sack for eight yards and he's able to avoid it and find a completion, you know, for Marcus, like there just hadn't been enough of that stuff. There, there has not been enough of, um, hey, I'm going to play at a level that, that helps everybody around me play better. And, um, you know, I know you haven't, you know, it's not like you're following everything I'm saying, but so like on Golick and Wingo, yeah, I mean, the comment I had there was, you know, whether it's Jameis or Marcus, like neither guy has played at a level where they just like, they raise the water level. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. raise the water level to, 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 make you know all ships rise basically make people around you better he's just not he he hasn't done that enough and he certainly hasn't done it consistently yeah and it is interesting uh i thought you laid it out perfectly on the two when it comes to their personalities and what they mean to if ironically our last caller we took to close out the last hour said you know the 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 reality is if if marcus wasn't a really good guy we probably wouldn't even be having all these discussions, you know, and that, that that's fair because, yeah. if, you know, if he was, you know, a jerk to the media or done some stupid stuff, I mean, this this would be a way easier decision. And you're right, Jameis hasn't, and that's what's amazing is the leash he's had, but he was also the number one pick overall. I, I think it's interesting their paths. They both are getting the same results, right, which is more losing than winning, but yet mm-hmm. Jameis is slinging it around and he's putting up the numbers He's incredibly irresponsible with, you know, some of his passes and all the turnovers. We know what happened in London. And yet, Marcus, it's not really about that, especially this year. It's just really just the lack of production. I mean, Sunday, he he couldn't even make a screen pass on Sunday work. Yeah, and I think the challenge, the the hard part is is that you look around, like I used Cousins as the example, fourth-round pick. You know, you just look at the energy that that Gardner Minshew has kind of brought to the organization in in Jacksonville. You look at Kyle Allen performing the way he is in um, Carolina. You look at Jacoby Brissett, who, you know, wasn't a high-round draft pick, who, you know, ends up the starter because of the situation in, in, um, in Indy. And... 
you know, you kind of just look around and be like, oh, man, these guys are, they seem to be just producing more consistently, um, you know, just this season, you know, not looking at, you know, the, the, the you know, the body of work of their, their careers, but just this season that way. So, yeah, I just, unfortunately, I think as a passer, he hasn't just, he hasn't gotten to the point where he, as a passer, plays above kind of the X's and O's of playing the position, and that's hard. But I would also say this, and, and it certainly doesn't help you win games. The other elements of what he has meant to the organization, how he's handled himself and uh, and, and all of that stuff, you know, you, know you, you can't hang your hat on that, and you can't stick with somebody just because of that. But I, I think we are having that conversation because, you know, about – you know, his situation, because he did all things the right way. I mean, look, I, I went to a training camp practice a few years back with my son on his birthday, and I didn't think twice about my son going over and having his picture taken with him and, and having him sign his hat and his jersey. And, like, he, he's done a lot of things the way that you would want a guy that you draft really high to do them. And I do think that's why it's kind of hard, because the play just hasn't been up to the standard that you would expect. So many times whenever that – that high draft pick just doesn't work out in a market, right? It's the easy go-to line of maybe they just need a change of scenery. You know, this will all probably look – you watch. They're going to go somewhere else, and it's going to look different. Eh, you know, more times than not, it really doesn't. So I'll ask you, <laughs> with that being said, Ryan Tannehill, okay, here's the change of scenery. He's somewhere new, and he's going to get a start on Sunday against the Chargers. Is it going to look different? Um, I don't know that it looks different against the Chargers. Um, you know, I still think they're – but I would say this. I think Ryan Tannehill can put a stretch of games together that will will make people be like, well, wait a second, is, is she the answer? I think he's more than capable of doing that. I mean, he, he's definitely capable of, you know, playing over, a, you know, whatever it is, a 10-week stretch and um, – and, and people being like, you know what, we're better off at quarterback. She has the ability to do that. But because of just kind of how the team has struggled offensively, like, and then you just look at kind of how things went for him when he came into the game this past weekend, okay, we, we, he also has the opportunity for things to be more of the same. I mean, that's so, you know, I don't think it's clear one way or the other. Um, I do think getting out of Miami was a good thing for Ryan. I think he has a better chance of proving to people that he's a starting quarterback here than he did in Miami as evidence of what's going on in Miami. Um, and I would say for Marcus, you know, there, there could be a change of scenery for Marcus, most likely is for a change of scenery for Marcus on the horizon going forward. And I don't think it's walking in and being the starter. Um, I think it's in a situation much like Ryan is in right now. By the way, I think it's kind of a throwaway line. I'm just trying to do it in my head. High draft guys that high draft picks that it didn't work out on the first team yet and they magically get way better somewhere else. I mean, I I guess the the best I've been trying to rifle through some names in my head and most times they go away and they just kind of bounce around as a backup and really nothing changes. Is maybe maybe Alex Smith a little bit of that example in Kansas City it, it got Better than Kerry Collins, Case Keenum, and Minnesota. Kerry Collins, okay. You talking about here? No, I'm saying Kerry Collins with the Giants. 
but he was drafted. Yeah, by Carolina. that's true. That's right. That's true. Yeah, Carolina to the Giants. Yeah, I'll tell you what, he was pretty darn good here. Uh, yeah. But you're right. Yeah, Giants. There. Okay, there's a good one. Uh, Alex Smith was the number one pick overall. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you see what I'm saying? There's not very many examples of because we had a caller, you know, too said the same thing. And I get it. People say, "You watch Marcus Mariota; they're not bringing him back, and he's going to go somewhere else, and he's going to shine." I'm like, "Really? What? Yeah, why? I don't think that happens with Marcus. I don't think that happens with Marcus. Me either. No, no. And um, yeah, I mean, typically, look, if, if you're drafted really high, if you, which he was. You know, the expectation level is, boom, you come in and you change things. You know, it's, it's so it, it's what Patrick Mahomes has done, and it's what Deshaun Watson has done, and it's, um, you know, it's what Eli Manning did and Philip Rivers did and, and what Ben Roethlisberger did, and it's what, like, that's when you're, when you're drafted really high, that's what people expect you to do. And so when you don't, you know, I think it's hard for the player. I think it's hard for the player to rebound from it. And I think it's, um, you know, it's typically unlikely that, that he gets a shot somewhere else and then it ends up working. So yeah, that wouldn't be the concern. I think the concern, you know, for the Titans is, okay, you know, we're going to watch Ryan Tannehill play. Like if Ryan Tannehill plays awesome over the next 10 games, okay, you know, then what do you do? You know, if, and then if he, if he doesn't, then you figure out, okay, well, where are you drafting, and what do you do with the position? How do you how do you handle it? And um, and there's going to be crazy stuff going on. I mean, Cam Newton may end up being available, and, and so is that something that that teams start to think about? And and so, but does yeah, anybody just, think his career would look better? Like, could he ever get better? Than the body of work we've already seen in Carolina, I mean, that that to me with a broken a body that seems to be breaking down and it's only going to get worse. I don't see that. Do you? I don't. But if you could trade Marcus for Cam right now, would you? Mm. Wow, that's a really good question. That's a, that's a... I I would say yes. I, think you, I mean, I think yes. you have to. Yeah. I, mean, I think yes. you have to. I mean, they, because the money is kind of similar. You know, Cam's got another year left, but the money's kind of similar. And um, he's taking the team to the Super Bowl. He's been a league yeah. MVP. Sure. You're right. Hey, that's a really good question. That, that's We had to think about it for a minute. But, yeah, you're right. In the end, yeah, you got to make that – you you make that trade for sure. You'd swap the two. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. More with Tim Hasselback on the other side. He has learned that this show is not a marshmallow show. We are tough <laughs> here on Darren, Donick, and Chase. More with Timmy next on ESPN 1025 The Game. Matthias Ekholm last night telling the little 20 year old Cody Glass of Vegas, sit down, young man. You better get off me. I'm going to flick you in the stands. Sit your down. Sit your behind down. Yeah. I just wanted to throw that in. Okay. So Cody. I can take it now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Hi, Tim. Years. Tim Hasselbeck, ESPN NFL analyst. All brought to you by Wyatt Johnson Ford here with us on Darren Donick and Chase. Uh, before we move on to some other stuff, I, I want to wrap up the quarterback conversation by asking you this. As someone that played the position, and we know the Titans have had issues on the offensive line and and both quarterbacks got sacked a lot last week, seven sacks total by the Denver Broncos. What does the quarterback have to do to – I know it's a simple question, but to avoid getting sacked? When it's – the offensive line has to do their job, but in your mind when you're standing there in the pocket, what has to be your progression to avoid getting hit? 
Yeah, well, I think this. I think oftentimes we make it out to be, uh, you know, sacks or quarterback hits, an offensive line thing, and they are a big part of it. And it's, I think it's obvious when you have somebody just, you know, blow an assignment or um, if you have an offensive lineman that's just overmatched and he gets beat. And so that's one element of it. But, you know, the other element, obviously, of pass protection are the running back and tight end because they are, you know, oftentimes in pass protection quite a bit. It's also on the receivers and the running backs in the event that, you know, the way to answer a pressure is to get rid of the ball quickly. And so the receiver has to know, especially if he's got to adjust his route, the running back, same thing. Um, And then I think there's an element, you know, from the quarterback's perspective of, you know, not only just holding the football, but, you know, the ability to, to communicate at the line of scrimmage in a way that gets everybody on the same page so that you don't have the the mistakes that you, you would normally see. Um, so there's, there's that whole element of the guys on the field doing it. And then there's the element of, you know, is the scheme and is the timing of the call um, something that is helping the players do what they're supposed to do, or is it putting people, you know, in tough situations? And, and so, you know, it seems like every Sunday, you know, you, you have people being like, oh, my gosh, did they really try to block Vaughn Miller with a tight end? And was like, yeah, they did. You know, like, so, you know, we can blame the tight end, or we can ask the coach, like, was really, was that the right way to deal with it? So, you know, you know, typically when a, when a quarterback or a group of quarterbacks is, is, you know, getting sacked a bunch and under all types of pressure, typically what it is, is it's a combination of all of those things. And I know it's, you know, it ends up being kind of a, a cop out answer, but very rarely is it, oh, hey, they just, you know, they stink at left guard or, hey, the quarterback's just holding it forever. I mean, it's typically not, you know, the reason. It's it's typically, it's like, hey, if you have seven sacks, you know, two are on the quarterback, two are on the offensive line, you have one on the running back, one on the receiver, one on the tight end, and all of a sudden it's like, you got sacked seven times, like whose fault was it? It's like, well, it's, it's everyone's fault. So, um I just I think that ends up being the challenge with it, and that's why it's hard to fix. Tim, uh, the Detroit Lions, they got something this week. They, I know they were very excited about it. They got jobbed on Monday well, night. Well, they got that, but they got the letter. They got the letter from the NFL saying that, hey, we we messed up. Sorry. We're sorry. We uh, we got the calls wrong. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, atrocious. The Trey Flowers, the hands to the face. I mean, his his hands were not on – the opponent's face and Troy Vincent admitted uh, to reporters at the league's fall meeting that there should not have been an, an infraction called on the second of the two penalties. I think we could all agree that it'd be on both, but what's going on with the officials? I mean, we see it week in and week out if they just, they're missing some really, really bad calls. And in my opinion, Tim, this changed the outcome of the game. Yeah, I would agree with you. It, it definitely changed the outcome of the game. And, um, you know, what's going on with it? Um, I, we're we're actually throwing more flags. We, you know, the officials are throwing more flags than they ever have. You know, you just look at over time. Um, you know, games are more, you know, penalized. There's more and longer reviews. I think watching the games is, you know, has been a little bit less enjoyable because of all the flags. And so there's that element where officials are throwing flags. And then there's the element of they're also missing stuff. 
and they're getting some stuff wrong. And is there an element of slow motion and camera angles? Yeah, probably, because I think we see it the most in the in the big games. You know, we're, we're seeing it most in Sunday night football and Monday night football and the 4 o'clock, um, you know, prime time or the 4 o'clock, like, you know, big window game. Like, you know, it's, it's Packers-Cowboys. Um, those types of games, I think we're seeing it more in, in – and I think part of it is, is the angles. And so I think it's easy to sit here and just rip the officials because they're getting stuff wrong. I think it's hard. I think it's difficult. And I think we get a lot of looks at things that, you know, they don't have the benefit of. Now, then you have to throw in review. And I think part of the thing is, is that, you know, review and what we review, we've talked about this a bunch. You know, it's not consistent. It changes as they go. And I think that's part of what's causing, you know, the, the massive frustration with so many fans is you get stuff wrong. You can't review certain stuff that should be reviewed. The things that are getting reviewed, you know, sometimes you're getting overturned and then they change the threshold to overturn them. And so I think you have a lot of unhappy people because officials have a hard job. We're judging them pretty, you know, closely. And, you know, the whole process of it all is inconsistent. And so I just think that we kind of are in a big mess with it. Yeah, I completely agree. And then there's a report, you know, coming out that uh, David Bakhtiari from Green Bay was basically complaining to the officials and about that. Hey, are we not calling hands to the face anymore? That mm-hmm. the last three mm-hmm. plays I've been staring at the sky, and then all of a sudden, guess what gets called? What that goes on yeah. during yeah, games? I know lobbying yeah. by players. Well, what? Well, and here, and here's um, I'll tell you an interesting story about this. My my brother, um, you know, was whacked back when he was playing with the Seahawks. He, in his, you know, uh, weekly talk with the media, is like, you know, you know, one of the things the Rams do is that, you know, they hold on defense to, to free, up, free up their linebackers. And, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons they're, they're pretty good against the run and why they're getting the quarterback so much. Well, you know, he's headed out to practice and Holmgren calls him into his office and absolutely rips him, just absolutely rips him. Like, what are you doing? And Matthew's like, what are you talking about? I mean, like, we, we all watched it. Like, that's what they do. And Holmgren's like, yeah, I know that's what they do. But now that you just told them that we know that that's what they do, let me tell the officials before the game, hey, watch 91 on the defensive holding so that we get the call. He's like, you know, there's a way to do it, you know? And, and I think that's a little bit of what Bakhtiari, you know, does is in the game is rather than like throwing a fit in the media beforehand or rather than, you know, just saying to official, like, hey, man, like, I know you got a lot to look at, but like, these two hands have been all over my face the whole game. Like, I think you're more likely to get the call in that case. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that's just, that's how, that is how it works. Tim, what did you make of the Jalen Ramsey trade uh, to the Rams? Rams giving up a lot two firsts and a fourth to acquire his services. When's their next first-round pick? Like 2025? Like <laughs> yeah, something uh, like that. Um, I was surprised, to be honest. Um, I think it's. I think it was a lot of money. I mean, a lot of um, capital, you know, to, to, to get him. Now, you know, for a guy that, you know, had a bad back, um, <laughs> I think it feels better now. <laughs> I like the way it, you laughed you know? at that. Yeah, I, I just the two first round picks and a fourth round pick to get a guy that that you know quit on his team. Mm. I, um, I just 
how long is this? Do we know the diagnosis of how long it's going to be before he can recover from the <clears throat> back injury? We, we don't. Um, how long's the so, flight from Jacksonville to L.A.? Uh, yeah, it'd be <laughs> even worse, you know. So, I mean, I saw this thing out that, that Deion Sanders is saying, like, you know, he's not going to be there long. Like, so – I, I, w- I would have guessed, and I said this to you, like, I, I would think that if you're going to go there, if you're going to be a part of that trade, like, you have to have a deal in place. Uh, one would think, yeah, especially to give up all that. Right. So, you know, uh, are they going to make him the, the highest-paid corner in the game, which I think you would have to do. Um, so I, I didn't like it for the Rams. Maybe it helps them this year, but um, I did not like it for the Rams, and, I think it's great for the Jaguars. I mean, you're a player that, you know, you, you basically drafted high who you, know, you were able to get good years out of without paying him as the top corner in the league um, who quit on you and you're able to get that much for him. Uh, I was surprised, and I think it was a good thing for Jacksonville. Isn't it amazing what's happened in this division? I know. So Clowney gets traded to Seattle. Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey gets traded to the Rams. And Andrew Luck retires, and the Titans are two and four. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that was going to go that direction. With all of that that's happened, right? You would think like, oh, well, then that means like we should be in a good shot where we're really, you know, we have a stranglehold on this, you know, division. Right. That's and what I'm saying. Can you imagine if I'd I said, hey, Tim, in July, like this is what is going to happen in the AFC Central? How do you see it playing out? You're going to, you know, like, we're all going to go. What did I just say? Central, Central. South. <laughs> <laughs> South Central, Preds Division Central, yeah. Titans of South. Uh, how do you think the division's going to play out? You're, you're not going to be like, yeah, they'll probably get off to a slow start, probably need to make a quarterback change, uh, and they never get on track. Like, no one would answer that way. No, you, you really wouldn't. I think that's what's so disappointing. And, um, okay. you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people kind of talk about how you need um, – you know, I've never heard people say like kind of this debate of like what kind of quarterback do you need to to win a Super Bowl, and I, I think that you know, unfortunately for the Titans, like you're not even in that that discussion about like hey for a Super Bowl, it's like you know what kind of quarterback play do you need to win the division to be to be competitive in the division, especially when the division is falling apart. So yeah, I just I think. You know, not to kind of circle back to the whole quarterback thing again, but like, yeah, that's just that's just where you are, and why you need to make a move, and and why you need to get more production out of that position. Tim, good stuff as always. Um, have a great rest of the week, and we'll do it again next Wednesday. All right. Yeah, good. Do you See have you a game? You have a game? Oh, I, I do. Listen, I had an amazing game Saturday. I had the sixty-two to fifty-nine Louisville over Wake Forest game last weekend. Ooh. It was it was one of those games because it happened late and it was up against Notre Dame uh, USC. Yeah, and probably very few people saw it, and it was probably too late to end up on Sports Center and all that stuff. But like, it was one of those games that was an absolutely amazing football game that that not a whole lot of people saw. And quite honestly, I've got Wake Forest again. I got Florida State at Wake Forest this weekend, and um, it has a chance to be very similar. And then. Week after that, the uh, big anticipated matchup of Boston College at Clemson. Oh, 
That's gonna be hard. Ooh, for was, you. That, dun, was, that, dun, ooh, like, was that ooh like ooh that's gonna be a bloodbath or no, ooh like oh that, that's that's that should be good. I say <laughs> ooh more uh, along the lines of I know that's gonna be tough for you. I mean that's it's BC. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be tough for me. I think it's going to be tough for BC. For BC. <laughs> right. That's exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. Tim, good stuff. Have a good one. See you guys. <laughs> Tim Hasselback, brought to you every week by Wyatt Johnson Ford. Back, uh, don't forget, at 1245, we'll head to L.A. We'll find out a little bit more about the Chargers. More of Darren, Donnick and Chase next. We had a really good conversation with Rod Gilmore yesterday, and he talked about his – Rare blood cancer. Did you know an estimated 1.2 million people in the U.S. are living with or in remission from a blood cancer? Hey, join us, ESPN The Game Nashville, for Light the Night Walk at Nissan Stadium. That'll be Friday, November 1st. You can be the difference in saving a life. Be a part of the 2019 Light the Night Walk for more details or to be a part of the event or to just to, to contribute. Visit Light the Night dot org slash events slash nashville light the night dot org slash events slash nashville there's some other news that's out there elliot friedman reporting that daniel carr who david poyle told us yesterday was placed on waivers he had 24 hours to clear waivers elliot friedman reporting that daniel carr has indeed cleared waivers and then it was elliot friedman I mean, I'm sorry, Pierre LeBrun, excuse me. Elliot Friedman is a name you'll hear a lot on this show. Well, it was Elliot Friedman that put Daniel Carr had cleared waivers. It was Pierre LeBrun who then followed up with that. And it was interesting because David Poyle's comments were that he would go back to Milwaukee if he clears. But he didn't really say that. He said that. No, he said he could. He said we'll have to decide. Right, but he could suit up and play in Arizona. Uh, he was a scratch, of course, last night. Philip Forsberg did not play basically the second half of the third period last night. Peter Laviolette saying he was getting something looked at. Pierre Lebrun tweeted out shortly after Daniel Card cleared waivers that the Predators would be relieved that Daniel Carr has cleared waivers given the injury to Philip Forsberg. Carr will stay with the team. He is not going down. That from Pierre Lebrun. So, waiting a little news on Philip Forsberg. Hopefully, it is something really, really minor or nothing at all. He has five goals on the season. Yeah. He is off to an incredible start and obviously a big part of their success. He had one last night in the second period and then, as you mentioned, missed the, the second half of the third period. So, we'll see. Hopefully, um, hopefully we can get a report on him. But, yeah, it, David Poyle did explain that whole process to us yesterday of that he's got to go through waivers and he's either going to be he'll either clear or he'll get claimed and then they can decide what they want to do that you know do they want to send him to milwaukee do they want to leave him here on the active roster so they're they're, i guess sticking with it right now we're going to head out to southern california and there's actually news on that front too quickly that uh, it is official the worst kept secret ever joe madden does indeed become the next skipper of the angels signing a three-year and the alcs postponed yeah, rain postponed tonight. They'll play game four tomorrow. Eric Williams on the line, ESPN's Chargers reporter. Eric, how you doing? Good. How you doing, fellas? Doing fantastic. We're sitting here all week, been breaking down 
two teams that desperately need a win and in our eyes and I'm sure in your all's eyes because certainly the Chargers were a sexy pick two teams that have underachieved this season yeah no doubt when you look at where the Chargers are at obviously two and four um, some people kind of had picked them as the trendy pick to, to reach the Super Bowl after what they did last year and they're struggling right now two and four uh, really struggling in the first half of games. They've been outscored 38 to nothing in the last two games. Both of those, of course, are losses. Um, so, yeah, just like the Titans, the Chargers are trying to figure out a way to, to get a win, and, and they're hopeful that they, it can start on Sunday. What does uh, what do you make of the news that came out today? That and it came out last night uh, nationally, but Mike Vrabel addressing the media today and kind of yeah. talking about the change at quarterback Ryan Tannehill will get the start against the Chargers on Sunday. What do you make of that? Uh, Just Tannehill has has played pretty well, I believe, against the Chargers in the past. I know it was a different team. Um, Obviously, he offers mobility, just like Mariota. uh, But I think sometimes you just need a change at that position. It's the easiest position to change to try to jumpstart your offense. So I, I understand making that move at this point in the season uh, to try to salvage, you know, where they're at. Um, the Chargers obviously are, are familiar with Tannehill, having faced him in the past. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what the game plan is going to look like defensively for Gus Bradley, how they choose to attack Tannehill uh, with him leading that offense. Melvin Gordon says he wants more touches. How do you think that's going to play out here on Sunday? <laughs> it depends on what the score is in the first half, I think. <laughs> I mean, he's going to have any, any carries in the fourth quarter, which is, which wow. is crazy to think about. Um, obviously he's struggling, uh, 49 rushing yards in the last two games on, on 20 attempts. He's averaging 2.5 yards per carry. It's the worst two, two game stretch for Melvin in his NFL career. Um, and he's a guy that believes the more you give him the ball, the, the, the better he's going to be in terms of getting to rhythm, um, as a guy that's a workhorse running back. Um, so it's obviously a dilemma because I think early on when, when Melvin was holding out, the Chargers had kind of established an identity of how they were going to move the football. And it was basically kind of a pass-first approach, using Eckler out of the backfield more because that's his strength and, and, and working um, that way. And then you throw Melvin in there, and now you try to go back to this run-first approach, and it, and it doesn't work. Um, so I'm interested to see what they're going to do on Sunday. They did have some effectiveness late in the game against the Steelers, running more up-tempo, no-huddle stuff. So I'm interested to see if they, if they go to that early on to try to get the offense going. I know, Eric, everybody in the NFL deals with injuries, right? I mean, it's just virtually impossible to escape the injuries. You just hope it's less than more, and you hope it's maybe guys that uh, are a little bit easier to replace. But the, mm-hmm. the Chargers, man, they have had some – they have had no luck in that category whatsoever, especially on defense. I mean, they they have, they lose some key bodies yeah. a lot. And sometimes for long periods of time, Hunter Henry certainly – over on the offensive side of the ball, has just dealt with nothing but injuries. He looks mm-hmm. like he's a fantastic talent, but just really it's is rarely on the field. Well, what do you make of that? Uh, how much is that discussed out there, all the, the, the key injuries the Chargers seem to deal with year in and year out? Yeah, it, it's discussed a lot. Um, I think they had pretty good injury luck last year, uh, besides Bosa uh, being out for the first nine games. Um, and they were actually somewhat healthy going into the end of last year in the playoffs. Um, this year, obviously, they've been hit hard. Uh, Derwin James is out with the, the foot injury. They're hopeful to get him back after the bye week. Uh, they're two, basically, they're their best offensive linemen. 
Um, Pouncey's done for the year with a neck injury. Russell Okung's been dealing with a pulmonary embolism due to blood clots. We're going to find out today whether or not he's going to be able to come back or if he's, he's done for the year. It might be career-ending for, for Russell. Um, yeah, a lot of dynamic players on both sides of the ball. You mentioned Hunter Henry. Um, you know, Anthony talked about kind of taking a, a long-term approach in terms of his players, and a lot of those guys didn't play during the preseason, and, and part of the reasoning was that for that was he hoped to have them fresh at the end of the year. The Rams used that to some success uh, last season. The, the Texans did as well in terms of limiting the reps during preseason. That hasn't worked. I mean, they, they've obviously had their share of injuries. Um, the one thing I will say to that, though, is they have the most durable quarterback in the league. Phillip Rivers is out there, you know, game in, game out, and it's the most important position in all of sports. They've, they've, they've been lucky there, fortunate, in terms of having a guy that's, that's tough and durable like Rivers. Um, but you're right. I mean, the injury stuff is an issue. Um, they are hopeful, I think, that they can get Ingram back for this game on Sunday. He practiced last week. If they have Ingram and Bosa together, that should help their pass rush. And then I think eventually Derwin being back is going to obviously improve the defense. Eric Williams on the line with us, Chargers reporter for ESPN. Uh, you brought up Philip Rivers. Uh, I, I believe he's in the final year of his contract. How, how do you mm-hmm. see this playing out? Obviously, you know, I'm asking because there's going to be a lot of decisions to be made here. Philip Rivers is from basically about two and a half hours, three hours down the road. Yep. Is, is he going to end his career out there? Is do you think he ends up somewhere else? How, how do you envision this playing out for Philip Rivers? I think it's to be determined. Um, you know, Philip said before the season started he was good with his his deal with playing it out, and I think the reasoning for that was there was some uncertainty in terms of whether or not he was going to be here beyond 2019. Now, Philip in the past has said he was going to be with the team when they opened the new stadium in Inglewood in 2020. Um, but I don't know if that's where he's at currently right now, just because of where the team is at 2-4, and four, struggling. Uh, the fact that he lives in San Diego and commutes up here uh, on a regular basis to Costa Mesa to Orange County. And then where he wants to be, you know, is, does he feel physically fit enough to continue to play does he want to play? I know ultimately he wants to, to coach you know, his kids, his sons, in football once his playing career is over. Is that going to be in San Diego or is that going to be you know, back in Alabama where he's from originally? Those are a lot of questions to be answered. I think this six-game stretch is going to be important. If the Chargers can kind of work their way back into it and show that they're actually a, a viable team that can compete and go into a deep playoff run, maybe that affects his thinking thinking a little bit but if they just tank and go four and 12 then yeah i do think it's it's a possibility that either he plays elsewhere in 2020 or maybe he just calls it quits and retires eric we've obviously been dealing with a lot of things here in nashville with the titans and listening to mike vrabel their head coach answer some tough questions and you know Mm -hmm. his decision making and things like that what's been the attitude of anthony lynn because a lot of people have had picked the chargers to be uh you know be a team to to reckon with in the AFC, and it just hasn't gone that way this year. Is he concerned about his job? Should he be concerned about his job? What's his attitude right now? Well, he went nine and seven and twelve and four his first two years, so I think the first answer is no. I don't think he should be concerned about his job based on what he's done the first two years. 
uh, he's been with the organization. I think his attitude is he's, it's unwavering. He's going to continue to stay the course and, and stick by what he believes in and that he believes this team can turn, thing, can turn things around. I think he's going to look to what happened the first year he was here when the team started 0-4 and then work their way back into uh, possibly going to the playoffs, finish the season 9-7. and He's going to lean on that experience and say, hey, we've done it once before. It's possible that we can do it again. But, again, first two years, 12-4, 9-7, and seven, I don't see how Anthony can be on the hot seat, to be honest. How, how do they fix the, the turnover ratio? Because I know that that's been something that's, uh, that's bogged them down. You have to make better decisions. It starts with the quarterback. Phillip has seven turnovers through six games. He has two turnovers at the one-yard line. Three of the turnovers have been in the end zone. So he has to make better decisions as a quarterback, and they have to do a better job overall as an offense. They have four turnovers where they've been in the two-yard two yard line or inside. That should be seven points, and that's really the reason that they're four and two instead of, or excuse me, two and four instead of four and two because they haven't taken care of business near the goal line, and they have to make better decisions. I think that's ultimately comes down to the quarterback and the rest of the offense. Defensively, with some of the players that you've been around this week and talked to, they, I'm sure they have looked at uh, the deficiencies that the Titans have on the offensive line. You mentioned Joey Bosa earlier being, you know, a, a part of that defensive front. What's been the discussion about the pass rush and getting to now Ryan Tannehill under center? Well, obviously you have to get pressure on quarterback. So that, that, that starts with the front four. Uh, they have to figure out not only how to get there with the front four, but they have to stop the run too. They struggled against run, running teams in the past. And I think that's really been their struggles defensively is, is, is stopping the run first and then getting after the, the pass rusher. Uh, so, Maybe they have to blitz more. You know, one of the things that they're missing with Derwin is Derwin was the best, one of the best blitzers as a safety in the league, and, and they don't have that added element to, to bring defensively. Uh, but you might look for somebody like Desmond King to blitz a little bit more to, to help that pass rush. And then, again, I think if Melvin comes back, uh, I think they're, they're obviously even more dangerous as a, as a pass rush unit. I believe Dan Fouts was the quarterback the last time the Titans or this organization beat the Chargers. It's been a while. It's that's a little <laughs> really? extreme. Yeah, no, their 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 history sucks against the Chargers. It's really really bad. Okay. It's like well, I, I, think think one in, I think I'm picking the Titans on Sunday, so maybe they turn things around. So you think? So you think the Titans get it done? I think they had definitely have a chance to get it done. I think this team is struggling. Um, you know, I don't like the way that they're they're playing on a week in week out basis. Um, there's definitely some intense scrutiny going on behind closed doors here as an organization. Um, but the one thing I will say, though, is, is the Chargers kind of, when they, when they get in these adverse situations, they usually respond pretty well. Uh, but right now, I, I, I like the Titans' chances. Interesting. Eric, really good stuff. Appreciate the visit, uh, and thanks for doing this. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, that is Eric Williams. Does a good job covering the Chargers for ESPN. That will close the book on hour number three. We'll come back, kick off the fourth and final hour. We head out to Glendale, Arizona, our weekly chat with Chris Mason. We'll talk a little Preds hockey. That's next on Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN 1025 The Game.